Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Tom Ortman to the show. Tom Ortman is the Chief Technology Officer for Voltabox of Texas, Inc., a subsidiary of German-based Voltabox AG, a publicly traded multinational corporation manufacturing electromobility solutions with highly engineered battery energy storage systems. Prior to Voltabox, Mr. Ortman was founder, president, and CEO of Concurrent Design Inc., which was acquired by Voltabox in March of 2018. Mr. Ortman is a mechanical engineer and an expert in product design and development. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Raj. Thank you for having me on today. Tom, thank you for being with us. Tom, I'd like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? So um, the clean energy link is, is uh, I think, a very big part of, of who I am and what interests me in particular. Uh, I trace that connection going back, uh, oh, some frightening number of decades back to when I was in college some 40 plus years ago. The, the solar energy field has always intrigued me. That led me into a, a career in solar energy, and that expanded out into other clean tech fields, uh, a little bit in wind, uh, some in uh, microgrid, smart grid, and then ultimately to my work here today at Voltabox, where we are a pure play energy storage company. So that's a long time in this space. Since you mentioned Voltabox, can you share a little bit about what Voltabox does? Sure. So we are a, a German-based uh, multinational company. We specialize in electromobility. So we build large, complex, industrial-scale battery energy storage systems for uh, a few discrete applications. So mining and industrial vehicles is a big part of our business. Uh, another part would be in buses, especially trolley buses. We have other work that uh, is going on in a uh, sector that we call intralogistics. So things you might see at airports, moving things around or in factories or warehouses or distribution centers that would move materials around. We have other uh, activities in port and marine and in rail, but in essence, uh, large battery energy storage systems for large commercial or heavy industrial applications. We have uh, just begun a foray into the stationary uh, side of the energy storage business, and that's uh, still nascent. So that's really interesting. Um, you know, obviously, without giving away too much, why, what was the strategy behind pursuing moving objects before stationary? Oh, the, the company itself, uh, Voltabox, based in Germany, has a parent called Paragon. Paragon is a 32-ish year old uh, company who is a tier one automotive supplier. So Paragon has customers that range from Ferrari and Maserati to BMW and Mercedes down to uh, you know Volkswagen, Chevrolet, and, and Hyundai, and most uh, automotive companies in the world. They've been doing this for three plus decades, and so our 
our pedigree, our legacy is in the automotive industry space. And internal to Paragon, one of their customers, uh, BMW and their motorcycle division, inquired about the potential to replace the starter battery for motorcycles. And uh, any of your listeners who happen to be motorcyclists will know that the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth biggest problem on a motorcycle is the starter battery. And um, I, I rode for many years, and I can tell you that that is, that is by far and away the biggest headache. So BMW asked Paragon if they could help solve that, and they did using lithium-ion battery technology. That is uh, uh, still going on today, but it represented the beginning inside of Paragon. The interests in battery energy storage uh, were germinated there, but they grew significantly to where the internal uh, product lines were substantive enough and growing fast enough that Paragon opted to spin out its own separate business unit of VoltaBox, which then opened up the VoltaBox of North America and VoltaBox of Texas branches where uh, I am sitting today. You know, you just answered a question for me that I've been kind of thinking about for a long time. I used to own a Honda Shadow 750, and I think I might have changed three batteries, and I thought it was, <laughs> un- I thought it was just unique to me. No. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is not at all unusual that you would have one season on a battery, and if you don't use it often enough on a motorcycle battery, uh, you might replace it, you know, twice a year. It's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary headache, and yet the lithium-ion battery solution has been uh, an excellent uh, replacement uh, to solve that challenge. Interestingly enough, to the point where I was at the fully charged event here at the Circuit of the Americas Formula One racetrack, I guess it was last weekend, and Harley-Davidson was there with their full electric motorcycle. And so a uh, very natural course of events it seems to me that you would from replacing the starter battery, replacing the entire powertrain and converting to a, a battery electric system. And uh, anyone who's driven an electric vehicle appreciates the, uh, the, the torque and a motorcycle is, is all about torque. So that, that made awfully good sense to me. Although there, there is this is a, a little bit of a conundrum being slightly a motorcycle purist. The Harley Davidson that makes no noise is, is, is somewhat of a, um, a, a paradox. <laughs> it really is. So Tom, you mentioned at the top of the recording that you've been in it for 40 years. So as a young man, Tom, you were in college. What drew you to this industry back then? There, there is something about solar energy, and I have seen this with many, many people through the years. Um, there, there's something magical, and it draws people to it. And maybe it is, you know, the, the fact that you can get all the energy in the world from sunlight, which, in fact, we do. But uh, I, I know for me, it was, it was sort of mystical kind of magical, very engineering technical. Um, it really appealed to me and, and perhaps my, I don't know, German-Irish roots of being of modest uh, beginning, the idea of getting something for free 
uh, your solar energy always uh, held some attraction. But I have I have seen and witnessed through the years this uh, same sentiment is um, very prevalent in in a lot of people. I started a um, a group called the Solar Energy Entrepreneurs Network some, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And within that group of people, and we would have hundreds of people from Austin come out to these events, over and over again, people just sort of implored me, you know, with uh, my guidance and insight as to how to get into the solar energy industry because they really wanted to get in. And so it, it, it appears to be a, a, a common uh, thread. Um, for me, it's, it's a fabulously interesting place, but also as I learned about climate change implications, the solar energy became more than just a, a way to save a few dollars on your electric bill or an interesting solid state energy device. It became an absolute uh, critical must-have as far as technology development, and so I ended up spending many years in that field, uh, worked to take the company that I had built, a company called Concurrent Design, and built that into uh, very arguably the world's leading solar product development firm on a commercially accessible basis, meaning that you know, someone who wanted to build a product could come to us and we could help them build it. And we worked on everything from uh, expedited racking systems for utility scale solar out through 30 kilowatt double axis concentrated photovoltaic systems with 39% uh, conversion efficiency using uh, uh, triple junction space satellite cells as the photovoltaic collector. So uh, very interesting space, very rich, very diverse. We developed uh, the world's first commercial photovoltaic system. That was a trademark of uh, our customer. And, uh, and it's been gratifying to see floating photovoltaics uh, picking up steam uh, around the world now. So that, in fact, was how I got to VoltaBox. VoltaBox was seeking uh, engineering resources, and they acquired concurrent design. And it was, for me, a, a move into a pure play, clean tech space. And that was uh, very uh, intriguing and attractive to me. So, Tom, one of the things I like to explore in the show is the why behind what you do. And you kind of alluded to it briefly there, you know, your early interest being attracted to solar, some being perhaps the idea that the energy is free, so from a financial standpoint. But, you know, when you started out with your interest, there's obviously an opportunity cost to doing what you did, and you decided to pursue it. It didn't, to me, it doesn't sound like it was just because of the pure commercial reasons. So, why else would you say that, you know, why were you drawn to this industry? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great philosophical question. And um, at risk of, um, you know, waxing poetic with a, a philosophical answer. Um, well, part of it, I, I, I'm, I'm sure, had to do with just uh, the environment. I mean, I, I, I grew up going through Boy Scouts, worked all the way into uh, Eagle Scout and Scoutmaster of my hometown troop. And I, I loved... Uh, camping and the outdoors in, in New York when I was growing up, acid rain was an issue. And I, I witnessed uh, lakes in the Adirondacks that were just uh, dead, totally dead bodies of water due to the sulfuric acid in the acid rain coming out of the uh, Midwest, uh, you know, iron belt and the, the coal-fired power plants. 
these things didn't really start to gel with me until later. But I remember growing up with uh, Jacques Cousteau and all of his underwater, uh, you know, explorations and nature shows and National Geographic shows. But it was maybe 20 years ago, there was a fellow by the name of James Burke. He was a British um, television person and historian. He had two shows that Americans might recall seeing. One was called Connections, and the other was The Day the World Changed. And in both of these, he goes back into history and explores how things got to where we are today and the interests uh, that, uh, you know, people like I might have in connecting the history and the technologies in, in a cohesive package. Well, he came to Austin about 20 years ago, came to the Paramount Theater to speak live, and it was a, a packed audience. And I remember him walking out, and, and literally in about three seconds, he had the audience in the palm of his hands. It was, it was quite amazing to, to watch. He spoke for about an hour and a half, and he talked about something called the warming climate, which was uh, the first time that I can recall hearing about this. And I remember thinking, holy cow, if what he is saying has even got a close bit of truth to it, that, that's pretty frightening. Well, that, that stuck with me for years. And as uh, my own business uh, grew and developed, we had a lot of background in uh, electronics and manufacturing. We moved heavily into the semiconductor industry and uh, uh, heavy process equipment development and uh, other commercial industrial product development. So it was a very uh, essentially easy and, and natural migration to, to pivot the business ever so slightly to the left, if you will, to make it focus on the, the clean tech sectors I mentioned, the solar and the wind and the smart grid and microgrid, um, and then moving into battery energy storage applications, which, which ultimately got me here to Voltabox. So the, the path, uh, I, I think, certainly reasonably has uh, an environmental interest coupled with my engineering background, um, manufacturing background, and uh, interest in doing product engineering design development with a, with a forward-looking bent to it. So uh, certainly... Uh, I have watched the solar industry mature, and now I find myself back in the nascent stages of the energy storage industry, which you know has has you know several decades of growth and uh, expansion and technological development to be sure ahead of it uh, at at quite a a brisk pace. So, Tom, I really appreciate you sharing that. One of the questions I has, have to ask is: You were very early ahead of the curve. How did you, you know, convey this message to your peer group and people around you that perhaps didn't believe I, back then or, you know, were asking you, Tom, why are you pursuing these, you know, um, some might even call it a fool's errand back then? Um, you know, uh, fool's errand is not a, not a bad term, really. And so I have to say I was a, a bit reticent to move in that direction because of uh, – you know, concerns that people might respond in the way that you just suggested, Raj. And uh, tiny, tiny little story here. There is a company in Austin called GSD&M. They're uh, very well known locally and probably regionally and nationally to some extent. Uh, so they are a um, marketing um, 
public relations uh, facing company. Uh, Southwest Airlines is one of their biggest clients. And there is a, a woman there. Her name is Haley Rushing. And her title was Chief Purposeologist. And I, I met her at a, uh, a lunch presentation she gave and got to be friends with her. We went to lunch a few times and talked about, you know, our, our purpose in our respective jobs. And I discussed my interest in solar and clean tech. And um, in that discussion, she did something tremendously important, which I didn't appreciate the broader scope of it at the time, but I do today, and I would actually like to convey it to your listeners. In that discussion, you know, I expressed that it would be really important to me to go and work in this solar and clean tech field. And, and, and she said, well, why don't you? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm not sure how people will respond because it's different than what we've been doing. Uh, not so much technically, but, you know, I don't know, philosophically and, and market sector focused. And I said something to the effect, um, vague recollection of, you know, I, I almost feel like I, I, need, I need some permission somehow to go and make this change. And, and she looked at me squarely and, and she said, Tom, I give you permission to go do this. And some magic button got pushed and I realized that, yes, I could go and do this, and, and I did, and it was very successful. But it was, it was literally that person whom I you know, didn't know well who gave me that permission. And I have, I have noted this um, psychological uh, roadblock for people, and I have purposely gone out of my way to give people whom I don't know all that well permission to go and pursue their dreams. And it, it seems to be something that... Uh, you know, the human creature needs that permission. So uh, for all of you out there who are uh, hesitating to go pursue your dream, your goal, your, your passion, uh, I'm here to say today, I give you permission to go do it and uh, make it so. Tom, that really is a beautiful story. And I hope that uh, you reach out to Haley here soon and thank her again. I have reached out to her a couple of times and thanked her. I've, I've kind of lost track. She may still be at GSDNM, but I haven't pursued in a while. But you're, you're right, Raj. I should, I should thank her again because I'm many years down the road from that and, and, and quite pleased with the result that she was the progenitor to. So you mentioned that you had your own company for a while. Have you done any small solar home projects? <laughs> I, I don't know that you and I spoke about this uh, beforehand, but uh, yes, uh, this week, um, Friday, six days ago, I installed a, an almost 11 kilowatt DC solar system on my home. It is arguably my third solar system, the first two being at uh, my prior office. And so I have an electric car, and now I can plug into uh, the sun at my home and run my home on, on solar energy. I'm, I'm uh, actually very pleased and excited about that. I have been running on wind energy because Texas has a program called Green Choice. Well, Austin, the Austin Energy Utility has the program. And so I've been technically subscribed to wind energy for some years, but now I'm generating my own solar. So you installed rooftop solar on your home? Correct. The reason I asked, because about two weeks ago, I saw a golf cart in my neighborhood 
and they were practicing, they had some solar panels attached to it and they were trying to power it with solar. And I just, you come across as a tinkerer kind of fellow. And that's why I asked if you've done any home solar projects. So I had no idea that you did that in your house recently. So, um, so yes, that, that one, that was a fairly, you know, um, straightforward, you know, linear commercial project. Uh, here at VoltaBox, I have multiple projects in mind. And with some of the resources of VoltaBox, I'd like to see some of them come to pass. Uh, that would include some of our own, um, our own solar systems here, both uh, in the parking lot with charging systems and our own battery energy storage attached to them, rooftop solar to help power the factory along with some large utility scale battery energy storage systems to be able to capture that solar energy and then to use it and apply it within the factory, as well as uh, to further discussions with our local utility, Perdinalis Electric Cooperative here in, in uh, the North Austin area, and uh, to be able to work with them in terms of uh, some of the ancillary services that might be relevant to them that we could offer with large utility scale battery energy storage systems. So those are things specifically here within, um, you know, my, my home environment and my business environment. But even this morning, Raj, I, I, I heard some snippet somewhere about uh, electric vehicles and I remember going back to having done the calculations of my own car and putting 23% uh, conversion efficiency cells onto the car at, you know, actual surface area measurements and how much energy I could generate. And the answer was 17 miles on an average Texas sunny day, five hours of sun, certain uh, square meters of, of area and, and, you know, recognizing that you had, you know, horizontal and you know vertical surfaces left and right side of the vehicle and so if i could generate 17 miles out of my 28 mile commute back then and and literally just park the car in the parking lot well it wasn't that interesting and then you start to look at buses and um you know ups and fedex and usps vehicles and they've got acres of real estate around them and uh, I have not yet seen someone who has pursued that. You still need to charge it. You won't get enough range, but you will diminish the energy that you'll need to take from the grid and you'll reduce your, your uh, ultimate uh, energy refueling costs for your fleet vehicles. So that, that's always been a, uh, an interest of mine. And, and with the current state of uh, battery technology, which is also growing rapidly in the current state of photovoltaics, you've actually got a reasonable argument to make based upon the math that I have personally sat down and calculated. So two questions. One is I actually had a conversation this weekend with a gentleman. Um, I'm not an engineer, but the idea I was thinking about was adhesive-based or some way to install panels on top of an 18-wheeler trailer and seeing if there's any opportunities there, especially when I drive by some of the yards and I see you know, 50 to 100 containers just sitting out there, I thought there might be an opportunity to do something like you mentioned with the car. So uh, I would think that the answer is yes, and, and solar energy has a, you know, a, a relatively you know, simple approach to it. You, you nominally get 1,000 watts per square meter at the surface of the planet, 
you nominally have uh, 20 to 23% um, commercially available photovoltaic modules that you can access today. You then have to go to how much surface area do you have and what is the, uh, there, there's derating factors associated with the angle of incidence of the sun to the solar panels. So you can put solar panels on the roof and on both sides of the vehicle and you can collect a certain amount of energy and it's, it's a fairly straightforward analysis to see how much you can get. But for certain vehicles, especially local delivery vehicles and, and local uh, you know, commuter infrastructure, buses and such, you can generate a, a, a meaningful component of energy. And uh, I, I've not taken it out to the step of, well, what is the return on that investment? How much extra does it cost to integrate the solar modules and, and the batteries? And, you know, you, oh, by the way, you need a, uh, an electric drive system. And so, you know, do you take out the diesel and put in uh, uh, an electric uh, traction motor? Do you have a hybrid system? You know, there, there's a lot of other um, financial engineering that goes into it. But, but technologically, it, it's very simple, very straightforward, and very accessible today that you can do this. So I have a family friend in India right now who's doing a pilot project by putting solar panels on top of trains, and they're using the energy generated for lighting and charging. Sure, sure. And uh, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, except all those, those pictures historically, Raj, of people in India who seem to prefer to ride on top of <laughs> trains. I, I'm, I'm not sure how that works with the solar panels, but... Uh, you might reduce some seating that way. That's a good point. And the other question I had, you know, as you were mentioning, you brought up the idea of, you know, Boy Scout. And I have a daughter who's a Girl Scout right now. And earlier this year or late last year, we did something with a Pine Car Derby. And I was just thinking about maybe applying some of your solar skills and to the Pine Cars and making those, you know, electric instead of just gravity. <laughs> well, um, I, I have to say, Raj, that that's not one that leapt to mind. Uh, uh, having worked on pine car derbies with my kids, you, you're measuring now in terms of square centimeters and not square meters. So it, it's not a, not a great value proposition at that level. <laughs> Plus, you usually do them indoors if I you know, recall the exercise. You're right. They do, they do, do them indoors. So, Tom, you kind of touched it briefly before, and I'm going to push it a little further. You know, one of the questions I like to kind of round off the show with is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Oh, so two, two very broad visions, if, if I have time for two. Absolutely. One vision goes to... Um, again, environment-facing, climate-facing. Uh, I, I hear the term an existential challenge thrown around in the media, in political stump speeches regularly. And, and, and if you stop to think about the word existential, what that means is our very existence is at risk. Nobody likes to say that out loud, but that's what the word existential means. So if I look at all of the different clean technologies that I have been a part of, that I've witnessed, that I've studied, and that I'm aware of existing, and there, and there are many more, we could speak for hours on them. 
what that means to me is that this is a, a, a new paradigm. We are shifting away from the, the current incumbent, which is the fossil fuel world, and we are moving into the clean, um, renewable, sustainable energy world. And this is, to me, a, a, as natural a thing as, you know, moving off of, um, you know, peat or, or camel dung and, and moving into, you know, other fuels that might be um, more efficient and appropriate and, and attractive from numerous different um, market facets. But the, the vision that I have is of a world which does not have acid rain and ozone holes and climate challenges and, and, and building seawalls to keep out the oceans. It's one where the, the air is clean, the, the trees are growing readily, the energy supply is uh, extraordinarily egalitarian, which creates diminished geopolitical risks and concerns and challenges. Uh, this, of course, goes to, to the sun and the wind, which is available to pretty much every nation everywhere. You don't have to fight over resources anymore. And you can have cleaner air and cleaner water because they just come along, quote, for free with these new uh, energy technologies. So it is, it, it is as obvious as, as anything has ever been to me that this is the future. We will go there. We are going there. There is no question. Um, you, know, you can look at the, the price of uh, Exxon stock for the last 10 years and you would have lost substantive money, about 30% if memory serves. And, and yet, um, the question is not one of can we, but one of will we get there quickly enough in order to be able to um, reach the vision that, that you know, I just shared and, and, of course, millions of people around the world share. So that's one. Uh, the second one is, is much closer to home, and specifically Texas. And so Texas has for 150 years been an energy state, and uh, most would say the energy state. And so today, Texas continues its, its, its you know, proud and important history in terms of fossil fuel development, uh, oil and gas. Uh, Texas was built on oil and gas in, in, in many ways. And I can easily envision, and when I speak to my elected representatives, I convey the, the, the vision that we are an energy state and we need to continue to be an energy state. We just don't need to be, and frankly, don't want to be a, a fossil fuel energy state. We want to be a renewable energy state. So the wind resources in Texas are vastly further along than any other state in the country and probably in the world, although I'm less confident in that fact. Uh, the solar resources in Texas uh, are just beginning. And the reason is that our cost of electricity here is relatively modest compared to most markets in the country. And so solar is now coming into its own as the cost points have uh, reduced so much through the, the, the decades. So the future that I envision for Texas is we continue our proud position as the energy state, but we are providing a different kind of energy. And with new and emerging technologies, uh, well, starting with the uh, high voltage DC transmission lines and with the uh, superconducting transmission lines, I can envision Texas providing energy to all 
of the United States and providing it using uh, you know, clean technology. So we have tremendous resources here. We have some uh, leadership that has uh, made investments, including what is called the CRES lines. Uh, those are transmission lines to take the uh, energy from West Texas to the population centers. Uh, so we've made investments in, in very uh, productive places, and it would lend itself to Texas retaining its title as the energy state and, and I think actually expand beyond uh, the current um, um, standard for energy delivery to the country and the world to a, uh, a significantly broader one, especially as far as electricity goes in our very much electrified future. Tom, I really appreciate you sharing your story sharing your grand vision to where we can go from a statewide and a nationwide. And I really look forward to seeing what you and Voltabox do here in the future. Thank you again for your time today. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Very good, Raj. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you.